You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators. I'm Ana Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Jim DeFelice, the co-author of the number one New York Times bestseller, American Sniper, and New York Times bestsellers, American Wife, and codename Johnny Walker. Dee Felice is the author of Omar Bradley, General at War, the first in-depth critical biography of America's last five-star general. He also writes a number of acclaimed military thrillers, including Rogue Warrior series from Richard Marcinko, the founder of the SEAL Team 6. And you also are, I see you're co-author of the Dreamland series, right? Yeah, that's Brown. Dale Brown and I write that, and we have a lot of fun. Oh, that's that. really cool. But today... We're talking to you about West Like Lightning, the brief legendary ride of the Pony Express, the thrilling narrative history of one of the most enduring icons of the American West. So more specifically, in the spring of 1860, on the eve of the Civil War, two Americans conceived of an audacious plan to link the nation's two coasts. So the first question I want to ask you is, what do most Americans think they know about the Pony Express? Well, I think what most of us know about the Pony Express is that they were young kids and they hopped on horses and they were really fast from St. Joe, Missouri, all the way to Sacramento and from Sacramento all the way to St. Joe. And that's true. And there is like all sorts of cool stuff that is connected to those kids and, and some of the colorful characters who rode the ponies. But the other thing that I think that a lot of us, not that we don't know, but we don't understand that this is all happening right on the eve of the Civil War. And so you have a lot of conflict in the country. You have all these technological advances. Uh, You have the telegraph, you have the railroads, just to name two of the things that are happening and that affect the Pony Express. And so what I saw, one of the things that intrigued me was certainly the legends. It's just so much fun to talk about people like Bill Cody and Wild Bill Hickok and even Mark Twain makes an appearance and he's one of my literary heroes, I guess. And um, I mean, that's just so much fun. But at the same time, there's a very serious side too. And so in with the entertainment, we also, or I also learned and can talk about a lot of what was going on in America at the edge of the frontier, in the deserts and the wastelands between Missouri and then out to the mountains and in California. Talk about some of the, uh, certainly the gold rush, but also the silver rush and other mineral rushes that were in the Denver and Colorado areas. And also talk about, there's another side to it, and that's kind of the financial machinations that made it all possible. And those are going on, for the most part, in New York City and Washington, uh, D.C., with one of the guys that invented or started the Pony Express. So that also is really a big part of the book, is a big part of the, the history. I try never to lose sight of the legends and the cool, fun stuff. Although there's a lot of fun in the machinations. We find out that Congress, if you think Congress is bad now, Congress then was even worse. Bought and sold. Well, that's a lot of the reaction that I had when reading the book. You think, oh, 
goodness, why do we need an in-depth history of the Pony Express and, and how will this be relevant? It is relevant in so many ways and it's so helpful to compare it to current issues. Like for instance, talk a little bit about Amazon's search for their second headquarters and how everybody put together their packages and tried to get is trying to get their business. Well, a similar thing happened in selecting the location of St. Joe, correct? Oh, absolutely. And, and let me tell you, Amazon uh, has nothing on the, the the guys that ran the Pony Express. They had all of these towns uh, along the Missouri River on both sides competing against each other. And they they drove a pretty hard bargain. They they got a choice piece of real estate, uh, not much more than they needed, because they obviously were planning on selling it. They got uh, free passages on the railroads. They got all of these other financial concessions, and um, you know, and they had all of these towns bidding against each other. Uh, you know, the it's analogy. Remarkable. It was remarkably similar. And the analogy, you know, I, in my head is, you know, the, the, all these sports stadium yep. guys, um, but, it, you know, Amazon's a good one. Yeah, they, uh, and you read their contract and it's like, wow, these guys are pretty clever. They really, yeah, they they were really put forward. the screws to it. And speaking of sports, you also talk about the riders sort of being like contemporary sports figures in that they were very conditioned. They were, you know, really dedicated to the effort. So tell us a little yeah, bit about you're, that. Well, you're talking for the most part, they were all men, all young men. There's no documentation that would prove that uh, women were involved. Generally, around 20 years old, you had to be a good rider generally from that area. So you're familiar not only with the route itself, but any, you know, side shortcuts or whatever. And you know, you think about it, you're spending, you're riding roughly, it depended on where you were, where we're where we're talking about, but you're riding roughly fifty or so miles uh, through really all sorts of conditions, you know, summer, winter, um, you know, maybe a nice fall day if you're really lucky. You're you're riding at night. Uh, you're not galloping the entire time, but you're riding the horse f at a fairly good pace for most of, say, roughly 10 miles. Then you swap the horse and you, and you go on. So it was actually a pretty grueling job. It's really a young man's job. And um, and a lot of riders, you know, just couldn't hack it. They, after a few uh, months, they would just, they would just leave, even though they were being paid fairly well, as much as a hundred dollars a month, which in those days was real money. That was when a hundred dollars was a hundred dollars. And it's hard to really gather all of those names. Why is that? Well, after the Pony Express, the Pony Express only lasts for eighteen months, and um, you know, so it's fairly short lived. But afterwards, it becomes really famous. It's included uh, uh, Bill Cody, Buffalo Bill includes it in his Wild West show. And it is, you know, it's like, you know, whoa, it's this big thing. And and all of a sudden, everybody wants to have claimed to oh, have been. That, oh, that's it. So it was false. And it's kind of, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I was a hero. And guess what? Bill Cody claimed that he had ridden for the Pony Express. And, I mean, there's a little bit of debate. Maybe there's 1% chance that he ran. I, run, I explain it a little bit in the in the book, but he um, he probably was he almost certainly was too young to actually have have ridden for the the pony. But uh, he he more than made up for it in making it famous by including it in his Wild West shows. So tell us, please, about the three men who invented it. Well, you know, there's three guys, and they're all kind of different. The most plain 
person, or at least what's come down to us as the most plain person, uh, was William Waddell. And he was a business type, and uh, he lived out in the Missouri area for, I believe, all his life. And um, he was probably the most staid person of the group. The other, his other two partners uh, were uh, colorful characters and opposites. Alexander Majors would have, he was a freight guy, which means that he brought freight wagons across what was the wilderness at the, at the time. And that's what he, he started as a young, young man. And he was really good at that. And that was a really important part, actually, of, of, uh, of their business. If you have an image of uh, Jim Bridger or, or any frontiers man, Majors just fits the bill. That's, that's who he was. That's absolutely who he was. The opposite number, uh, Mr. Russell, was a glad hander, a entrepreneur, um, a visionary. Mm, that's one interpretation. That's kind of the interpretation I like. But if you were a congressman, you'd have your hand out as he slapped your back, and you'd be expecting a little bit, a little something on the other side. Now he ends up getting in trouble because uh, the the Pony Express and the parent companies end up. Uh, they're very cash short, cash poor. And really, in a lot of ways, the Pony Express was kind of a get rich or at least get solvent quick scheme. Uh, it was an attempt to, in a literal sense, an attempt to win a federal contract that they needed to keep their enterprise afloat. And um, Russell kind of dreams that up and uh, he gets a lot of attention. And then the government and Congress, being the government and Congress, even though they promised to get the contract, they don't get the contract when they say they're going to give it to them. And when they finally come around, it's for about half what they had promised. So by that time, things were pretty desperate. And um, Russell starts, well, I guess we would say he kites some checks or makes some promises that he can't really keep. And there's these bonds that belong to the government, but somehow he ends up with them. So, you know, so we kind of, I kind of have some, you know, we explain how, how all of that happens. But I mean, these are these subplots and these twists and these turns of the whole overarching story. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Congress is deeply involved in it. The California uh, and the West in general, but especially California, remember this is right before the Civil War and the North or the Union forces, they need the, you know, money at that point was really, was real gold, was real money, and they need the gold as yeah. well as the silver from uh, Colorado, but they need the gold primarily from uh, California. So they need that communication, that line of communication. And that's one of the things uh, that makes the pony so important and, and possible was that need for communication lines. The pony makes... Before the Pony Express, to get a letter from New York City, say, or Washington, D.C., to uh, Sacramento or really any part of California would take months because it had to go by steamer. Steam, and there's yeah. no, you know, no Panama Canal yet. Teddy hasn't you know, been down there. They, so, you know, you're talking about a four-month, yeah. uh, pretty hazardous, long journey. 
you could get a letter from uh, from New York City, where incidentally Russell had his his offices, not yeah. too far from where we're recording this. I know, on this. Pine Street, right? Absolutely, just yeah. down the block. Just a few blocks, yeah. And in roughly two weeks, actually less than two weeks, if you use the te- which they yeah. use the telegraph, so you could you could telegraph. To a certain location, then it gets picked up. You say that it goes; it, gets, it can go from Missouri to to California in ten days. Absolutely. And you talk specifically about the election of eighteen sixty and getting word of Lincoln's election as it travels, and how important and how significant that is. And to think about it that way, to think, oh yeah, if the the election before it, it must have taken, you know, as you Months. say, so much, yeah, so much longer. And of course, this was vital information um, at that time in our in in the country's history. Absolutely, and that was one of the yeah. I was kind of searching around for a way to organize. You know, how are you gonna how do you write about the Pony Express? There's so much going on, and um, and I kind of hit. I, I think I saw uh, they call them cover. You know, the the letter that was was going, and it was the link. It happened to be that historic one that where they spread the news. Um, of Lincoln's election, and um, and so, you know, why reinvent the wheel? Let me let me organize the book the way that the Pony Express was organized, from you know from east to west. Um, there's a little. They set up kind of a, a few extra relay stations, yep. and they use the they certainly use the telegraph a lot, although they were doing that anyway. But um, to make sure that that message got there, and you can see it if you go, um, you look at. Uh, the some of the newspapers that are now archived and you can see the message you see when it when the news reaches there so it's really wild so let's talk a little bit about the actual writing of the book the conceiving and the writing of the book how long ago was it that you decided you wanted to write a book about the Pony Express? Well, you know, I didn't. I, I didn't want to write it. No, so, like, I have who to made, be, so who made you? I have write to a be honest. You know, who, you know who talked me into it was actually my editor, Peter Hubbard, um, whom I've worked with uh, going back um, on some of the Dreamland books. With. Yeah, yeah. I forget exactly what the circumstances were, but he said, "You know, I don't think anybody has recently done a book about the Pony Express." And, you know, I said something along the lines of, uh-huh. Yeah, right. I actually didn't take that as much persuasion as I had, um, as I thought about it. And I would like to do what I'd like to do. History, as I've done in some other books, I mean, history has been uh, is something I'm interested in. And I don't want to do it in a stodgy, musty, cellar no. way, you know, yeah. or big, you know, no offense to libraries and stuff. But I want it to be entertaining. Yeah. I want people to... You know, have fun while they're learning yeah. about our history and, and me have fun while I'm exploring it. And I just realized that this was a way to talk about America on the eve of the Civil War and to talk about some of the technologies that were going on and a lot of the hardships that not only the Pony Express riders had gone through, but also the pioneers and um, you know some of the other entrepreneurs who are all out there at that time. And while you have the you know while you have the Pony Express going on, you have people that were going out to prospect. You have and then you have these tremendous stories about pioneers, uh, you know the the Mormon pioneers, the Oregon, you know, and other people on the Oregon Trail, other people going to California. So 
the, the pony really was a way to get into, to kind of open up all of that history for me. So you agreed to do it. And how, how much time did you spend researching? About four weeks, actually, on the trail. Oh, yeah, tell itself. us about that. Um, well, I walked the whole way, and it was... No, that's not true. That's not true. I was that's in a car. Book. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think that's been done, too. But uh, I, I was in a car, I have to say. But, and I did not... Absolutely, the rumors of me trespassing on private property are <laughs> absolutely not true. I don't care what photos you have. <laughs> Didn't happen. Um, it, it was tremendous. I mean, the just meeting the people... Meeting the people at the small museums mm. is so great because they know so much. They are so, they're like just these vast resources of, of information and they have these great artifacts and they're so wonderful about sharing their time. I was also really privileged to, uh, to meet uh, a lot of the people involved with the uh, Pony Express rewrites. Every year, the National Pony Express Association um, and just a tremendous, an army, a veritable army of volunteers and people who, you know, they're unpaid, but they, they just are so into history and so into the Pony Express, they recreate the ride. And uh, they go, one year they'll go from St. Joe's to Sacramento, and then the next year they go from Sacramento to St. Joe's. And uh, it's so great, and they are, they are so into it, they know so much, I mean, goodness, they... You know, each one of them, I'm sure, could write their own book. But the other thing that's wonderful is watching the little kids, you know, just react to the history, react to the horses, you know, and the people. Some people are dressed up, and the, you know, the kids are into it. And you think, wow, that kid is going to know a lot more about American history when he or she grows up, uh, you know, because they're just so into it. It's the people, the volunteers, whether they're in Kansas. California, Nevada, you, you know, wherever they are, they're so wonderful because they're helping so many people understand what this country is about. So you researched, and then tell us a little bit about how you did arrive at the how how you wanted to structure and format the book. In trying to find a way to structure the book and trying to deal with all this material, I found a, a cover, a stamp cover with it. It's actually a letter. The you know the collectors call them covers because they're they're stamped, that was from the Lincoln election. It was literally the letter or copy, in my case, a photo of the letter that had been taken uh, west with the news that Lincoln was elected. And the letter itself inside, which you can't you know, see, obviously, from the cover, was for a specific newspaper. But on the outside, it says, election news, Lincoln elected. You know, so everybody there is, is no known, and that to me epitomized exact. I mean, that's exactly the moment I wanted. That was exactly this is this is precisely the moment that's important, not only in pony history, because uh, they went to such great lengths to get that news, uh, you know, west all the way to California, but also in America, because that's the time we're right on the cusp of the Civil War. The Civil War literally. As this letter is going out to California, the southern states are starting to meet and break up the union. Yep. Now, to first get the news to California by the fastest way possible, they actually made use of uh, a telegraph. The pony actually was interacting with the telegraph all through its history. People 
uh, you know, it's very common to say, oh, the telegraph and the, the railroad killed the Pony Express. Well, the reality is that when, you know, Russell and the others came up with the idea, they knew that they had a limited amount of time. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and they're actually using railroad technology. They're using the trains to get stuff from New York out to Missouri. They're using the telegraph when they can. Their overall plan was to create this huge financial empire. And, you know, if they had succeeded, instead of, you know, not leaving home without an American Express card, we wouldn't be leaving home yeah. without a Pony Express well, card. Well, talk about American Express and how it relates. Right now, when we think of American Express, we think of the plastic card in, you know, in a wallet or, or whatever in this big financial empire. But American Express actually starts in New York, upstate New York, in the wake of the Erie Canal. And, you know, you think, okay, well, the Erie Canal in you know, early American history was a very, very important transportation network. But when, when we say, literally say Erie Canal, you know, we think of the barges and they go from Albany to Buffalo and kind of ties New York in. But how does a package get or how does a letter or some other information get from the canal to Syracuse to, you know, south of Rochester, where, wherever it is? You need a delivery system, right? Well, American Express basically starts as that delivery system with a bunch of there's there's uh, well there's three main guys and they come together and they form a company, and you know the rest I guess is history. A lot of what they end up doing is not just transporting goods, but financial transactions. I guess yeah, would be and, the best and way to say fronting it. money in order to do this, correct? Right, exactly. Yeah. So you know at some point. Rather than you know, rather than physically transporting the money for some goods, if I could transport a note that says that that you know that I can get the money at my bank in New York City or Buffalo or wherever it is, well, that's a lot better, right? Well, I'll tell you what, I will charge you to do that, and but I'm going to charge you less than it would cost you to mail it, to yeah, yeah. send all that gold or whatever right. you have. At the same time, you know, this is a period when America doesn't necessarily have a central bank, and we have banknotes. Russell and his partners are doing the same thing. They have their own bank at West, and you know, they're the end game that they want to have is a financial empire. Yeah. Now, they end up, you know, American Express kind of um, is involved in what ends up being, you know, Wells Fargo, and it's a little complicated, but uh, majors. Russell and Waddell were in competition with yeah, Wells with them, Fargo. Yeah. So um, there are a couple other things that reminded me of, of, well, that you point out and you make sort of entertaining and delightful comparisons. You talk about the letters that were transported were sort of the first Facebook posts because you had to pay by weight, you had to pay by page, and these were the, you know, the onion skin paper, and you were it, it paid literally to be succinct. Absolutely. And yeah, yes. So they're, you know, so they're very, they're very abbreviated. You know, if you think about Twitter, although Twitter just recently or recently has increased the the length of the messages. So they're very succinct. The other thing that happens is that, you know, there, there's also letters that are being, you know, that are going to each of the newspapers. So they're also, it's also spreading, you know, it's kind of like your Facebook news feed, really, yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this book, and I thank you very much for oh. writing it. It was terrific. West Like Lightning, The Brief Legendary Ride of the Pony Express by Jim DeFelice, on sale from William Morrow. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed what you've heard. And if you have, that you'll subscribe. To do so, you just go to your podcast app, search for Harper Audio Presents, and click subscribe. That way, you'll never miss a conversation of publisher plus author plus microphone.